Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. Your host, Michael Fragan, here with my special guest, Menasha Shapiro of the Shapiro Consulting Group. I experienced uh, New York political hands and uh, here for a, uh, a little bit of a special edition. Uh, Menasha, welcome to Spin Class, or welcome back, I should say. Good to be back. Yeah, I see a little uh, pause there about the about the welcome, Menasha. So let's uh, let's just get right into it. We have got drinks in hands, and uh, we are now yes. <laughs> we we are ready to talk about the what I'm terming the political crisis in the uh, New York City Jewish community. So what we've seen over the COVID shutdown in the last couple of days, in the last couple of weeks, the closures, the Cuomo De Blasio feud, if you will, on and on as it goes. Uh, is Jewish political power or Orthodox Jewish political power in New York City, and I guess by extension New York State, at an all-time low, in your opinion? Uh, yeah, I actually think I actually think it is. Um, I think that the community, the, the, the community itself, has done a lot in uh, recent weeks to uh, hurt itself. Leadership has been absent for the most part only showing up when it's time for them to yell. They have uh, undermined their own credibility. Um, and the victims of all this have are going to be the people on the street, the masses, the people who are doing the right thing. The majority of the community are going to, are going to be suffering as a result. Well, give me, give me a little bit of an understanding, okay? I mean, we, we both have our own, we both worked in the, Orthodox Jewish world or the wider Jewish world politics in New York State. You always had Democrats, Republicans. You had a community that, by and large, voted in local elections um, in the last, let's say, 20 years, uh, has by and large voted Democrat, but at the same time, at least in New York City, at the same time has supported Republican uh, elected officials uh, for higher office, whether it be Giuliani, Bloomberg, uh, and uh, Pataki. And, the, and, and others. And to what extent does that, uh, the Trump factor, all those other factors uh, play into it? I think the, the Trump factor is a major factor. Um, it has sort of enabled the entire community to decide for itself um, what facts they want to be true, in much the same way Donald Trump cherry picks facts out of the air as to what he wants to be true. The community sort of has taken on this uh, approach of only cherry picking the, the news that they want to hear, they, the facts that they want to be true, and it has been to, to their detriment. And the leadership of the community has sort of played on it. They haven't led. The leadership has been way more reactive to the to the two to these uh, to this new phenomenon within the community. So while twenty years ago, for example, um, a leader or a political operative would be able to dictate to the community what is best for the community, now nowadays we would have this democratization of information. People are way more. Uh, adept at finding out the news that they want to hear, and that should ordinarily be a good thing. Um, we've seen throughout the course of the pandemic, the last seven and a half months, that that the the dem- democratization of information has uh, put caused the community to sort of 
regress in terms of its political power, cherry picking facts that only they want to hear, uh, doing things that make them personally feel good, and a leadership that has not stepped in to check it. And when I say leadership, um, you know, it could be collectively, at times, everybody, at times, it could be individually, at uh, other times, it may be a specific instance of a specific, you know, self self appointed leader in a specific neighborhood who well, well, let's, would let's stay in names for, we might as well name names for a second i mean i i, I know you're talking about the heshi tischler phenomenon i mean well, are we giving this guy too much credit are we saying that because he's a rabble rouser because he can get kids into the streets essentially what they are and that somehow that looks like it's it's the people that these are this is the baseline of the orthodox community isn't that just a simplistic and and wrong view? I mean, I don't look at him as representative of anybody. He's entertaining. He's not representative. He's not a constructive force. I wouldn't use the word entertaining. Um, and oh, I right. find him entertaining. That's a personal opinion. I find Sashi Tischler to be entertaining, and no okay, so, more. So, so you know, I, I tend to get my comedy from real jokesters here. But what I what I would say is this. I think you're right. Heshi Tischler. Okay, he's a clown. That's a better way of saying it. He's a clown. Clowns oh, are entertaining. People, some people are scared by clowns. So but we can go back and forth on that for a long time here. But what I would say, you're right in that the majority of the people are not the Heshi Tischlers, and nor are they the, the Heshi Tischlers who, um, nor are they the, the people who joined Heshi Tischler in riot. But what what we saw is that Heshi Tischler has been putting out some of the most vile, non, for, for lack of a better phrase, non-Jewish, non-Jewish value, um, bile on video, on television. He has been able to amass whatever following he amassed. So even if it was a few dozen one night and a few hundred the other night, this was on display for the entire world to see. And what we ended up seeing was that the only time the elected leadership of the Brooklyn Jewish community showed up was in essence to sort of criticize the response to what the world was seeing. And what the world was seeing was a guy leading people in, in violence against the most basic of precautions for this pandemic, which is wearing a mask. And there are some elected officials who have done a little bit, some who have done less. One in particular has been completely missing in action. You know, I will, you want to name names? I will call them out by name here. We created through redistricting in, in the last redistricting, what's supposed to be, they, they called it the super Jewish state Senate district, a, a state Senate district that sort of amassed and encompassed all of the Jewish communities of Brooklyn. It was designed to create a fulcrum of power for the Jewish community and state government. And this would have been the moment for that particular office holder, Simcha Felder, to step up and not just say, we, we don't like being targeted, but to also say that this is not who our community is. We are not giving Heshi Tischler a forum. And he's been we don't like being targeted, but we don't like being targeted. I mean, let, let, let's... But let's when not... you have Heshi Tischler, when you allow Heshi Tischler, I'm sorry to interrupt this, but this is another point. When you allow Heshi Tischler to 
gain traction on camera in front of the whole world. And nobody is really, really shouting him down, except on social media. What you end up doing is you end up painting a target on your back yourself. Yeah, but okay, but hold on a second, okay? Heshi Tischler only represents the Orthodox community. I mean, let's let's step back, okay? The Orthodox community writ large in New York City, okay, has been profoundly affected. We have seen the closure zones or the red zones kind of primarily focus on the Orthodox community or people Orthodox usually, even though there are other places that have infection rates of as high. I'm not going to get into that specific. We've seen it in Queens, meaning central Queens, far rock away, okay, uh, uh, Borough Park, Midwood, uh, Gravesend, if you want, you know, the, the greater Flatbush area. And we see, we only see a small group of people in Borough Park. All of a sudden, this is the Orthodox community. This is the Haredi community. And everybody, you know, because they think that everybody who wears a black, you know, black outfit, black suit, or, and a white shirt and a yarmulke and may have a beard and pay us, they're all exactly alike, which is, of course, as we know, is ridiculous. Okay, so that's a failure of the media, number one. And the way I think they treated the Orthodox community as objects has led to this. They treat this Heshi Tischler with fascination. They treat the idea that that violence would be perpetrated by one Orthodox Jew against another as, as exotic. And so therefore, you know, they have to, they have to rush to cover it. Um, in the case of Jacob Cornblue and, you know, the weddings and the, this, but it's, this is all, is this not all a media exaggeration? A couple kids get together on 13th Avenue because they're all unable to do anything else constructive. And somehow there's this sickness, there's this malaise in the Orthodox community. Why should Simcha Felder be out there? I'm not saying, not speaking for Simcha Felder, but why should he be out there? Why should he have to compete? For, for the, with the thuggery of, of the mob. Um, he's above that. I know I said a lot of things there, but what I'm saying here is that, that it, in my mind, this is not real, okay? I want to talk, the political power argument, I think, is real because I'm surprised that the governor and the mayor have been, are willing to treat the Orthodox community, particularly the Haredi community, with such impunity and without any input, without any collaboration and discussion what i am a little I, what the other point here however is what's not what's not shocking is how wrong the media has gotten it and i think as both of us who deal with the media on a regular basis we know how wrong they get the story and are they getting it totally wrong here or you think that they're somewhat right well if there's really two aspects here and i'll try to address them try to address them both when it comes to the you know the um failures of Let's look at the government side for a second here, okay? The governor in particular was reacting, and this is something that doesn't get discussed too much, right? Because everybody's just so reactionary now. But the governor was, one, engaged on a regular basis with the community, but what he was also doing, and yes, he made mistakes along the way, reacting to what he was seeing as an increase in numbers and in hospitalizations in various communities that all happened to have had one distinct feature, okay? And that was that they were the home to large swaths of the Orthodox Jewish community. This was true with the Queens communities. It was true with the uh, Brooklyn communities. If you look to other parts of the state, they were beginning to see some of the upticks uh, in Rockland County 
and it was beginning to seep in past Queens into Nassau County. This was the common, common denominator. So yes, the governor, you know, inartfully reacted to it. The governor, I don't want to defend some of the quote statements that he made, but he was regularly engaged. And one of the ways that he had been engaging was to try to get the leadership of the community to step in and to get the community to do the basics. Here we are seven and a half months in. We don't have to do, we don't have to employ the draconian measures that we were employing back in March and April, but we can wear masks and people weren't wearing masks. And they were gathering, you know, and there were plans because we were entering Sukkot at the time, plans to gather hundreds and sometimes thousands of people into contained spaces without taking the measures uh, to, to curb the pandemic. And what all he was trying to do was to be able to see a way forward to reduce the numbers and to reduce the hospitalizations. When it comes to the media and the media getting it wrong, you have to put yourself in the shoes of the media. You and I, deal, we deal with the media all the time, right? One of the first things that we always do is we try to put ourselves in the shoes of the, of the media. What is the media's job? Right. Obviously, they're going to flock to sensationalism. They're going to try to fill column inches and they're trying to go going to try to get clicks. Right. So assume that for a second. Now, also assume and this is something very important that doesn't get discussed a lot. A lot of the reporters in the media had been aware of the fact that members of this community were. And I mean, in particular, the Brooklyn communities in Borough Park and parts of Flatbush and, and Borough Park, Williamsburg and parts of Flatbush. So maybe I'm now committing the same crime of, you know, targeting the Hasidim for a second. OK, but <clears throat> I'm You're only Queens doing boy. Don't forget. I'm a Queens boy, but like I'm only doing it for illustrative purposes only. And I know this from conversations with a lot of members of the political media here in New York. All right. And I don't want to divulge, you know, their, the content of their conversations, but a lot of them had anecdotal stories where people in the community, whether and sometimes in some instances it was children, when they would go into the community in response to reports or to suggestions for editors to go in there, they were they were not told, get out of here, you're being you're targeting us. They were told, we don't have to wear masks, corona's over. We don't need to do this. We have herd immunity. They were all being, they all being fed what a lot of members of the community were being fed through their smartphones, through so their WhatsApp. Getting, so it creates so this impression. So let me just let me just finish quickly. It creates this impression so that when there is a spectacle, right, they now can all go jumping in already with their own preconceived notions. Because uh, remember, they're always gathering facts. They're always, they're always looking. And a great many of these reporters live in the same neighborhoods as some of these communities, and they see it with their own eyes. Right? So while it is their job to be objective, the community has not done a good job of making the right impression on some of them. Yeah, but these are people we're talking about. They're people, they're not all the same. You can't draw an inference just because one person says to you, we have herd immunity, or one person says, oh, this is about Trump, and Trump thinks that coronavirus isn't serious, and all the things that I see on WhatsApp chats and all that, and Dr. Scott Atlas and whoever they can name, or, you know, they're picking this guy, and they know the word Fauci. I mean, come on. I mean, that's just, it's just unbelievable, the, the simplistic, 
simplistic formulas that they apply to what their coverage. And if they happen to be there in the same, yes, I admit it's, it's, it's easy target for Orthodox Jews because you can immediately, you see somebody not wearing a mask who's wearing a yarmulke and you say, okay, they're Orthodox and that way, as opposed to anybody else, you don't really know who they are or what they are. And it's hard to stereotype them. But what I'm saying here is that not like when you say, okay, how come Simcha Felder or others are not stepping up? And, you know, it's interesting, of course, that our friend Kalman Yeager, and I, I consider Simcha Felder a friend also, I don't want to say that, but our friend Kalman Yeager was out there on the first night with Hashi Tischler and quickly left once I think he saw that things were getting uh, a little bit um, dicey, we'll put it that way. Um, because the, because I'm, the friends, I'm friends with the, I'm friends with everybody also. No, the substance, I, the know, substance here. No, no. What I'm saying is the grievance is legitimate as far as I can see here. The sense of grievance, and I think we should get into that. The sense of grievance is legitimate. Okay, why the Orthodox community has basically been been treated, I think, uh, quite quite horribly uh, when when compared with compared to what they see around, particularly with regard to the BLM protests and nothing to take away from protests and protesting. But if de Blasio said explicitly, okay, the mayor of the New York city said explicitly that people are allowed to protest the lot of the march, but the Jews are not allowed to go to a funeral. Okay. That sticks there. That doesn't leave. That doesn't just because it's a couple months later, that just doesn't kind of disappear that sense of double standard, that sense of grievance. And then you come back and you target just these neighborhoods and you do it on a Yontif day. Let's not forget that. Okay. When you know that nobody can react and you know, that's probably is that, you know, that might be why you did it or whatever. Okay, I mean, you don't want to talk about cynicism, why people should be cynicism. And we apply this formula that 10 people, no matter how big the shul, I mean, all these ridiculousness and these absurdities. Okay, how do you expect people not to be cynical and treat this as if it's targeted towards a certain community and towards a certain group of people? I would say this, and I, I mean, there are... There you are should sharp- feel free to interrupt me at any time. No, it, well, it's your show, <laughs> but I, I will say I will I will say this: there are, and we know because common sense tell, tells us this, right? Yes, on a surface, it looks like a double standard, right? When you turn and you say everybody can protest the thousands in the street, um, but you can't have, um, you know, you can't, you know, stack people inside for davening. Um, there, there is a double, it looks like a double standard, but you also have to look at what were the results. There was not an uptick in specific clusters of the city right after the uh, BLM protests. And we can simply look at that and understand why that really happened. People were moving, people were outside, enough people were wearing masks. But you're, they didn't go but home. You're justif- Let me finish. You're they justifying didn't... it afterward, though. You're they saying right, because right, exactly. it didn't happen no, afterward. No, exactly. Right. So, so what I'm saying, no, you're, so you're right. So on the surface, it does look like a double standard. But you can't then go ahead and say that because that there was no uptick uh, a- afterwards that we should be allowed to do whatever we want. We are still talking about that. This I don't think anybody's saying that. Nobody's saying that we should have a sense of lawlessness out there. And in fact, but if you come out and- no, Did anybody from the community, I live in a neighborhood now okay. where everybody in the community came to me 
okay, came to me in the summer, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, let's try to find a way to get to the city so that we can dive in outside. And why you know what? The city the made city, that happen. Why so, did the so city and state do me, nothing, do nothing, and I mean nothing over the months of June, July, and August? Nothing in the way of outreach whatsoever. Nothing in the way of dealing. Nothing in the way. Okay, why so don't they hire? Not, why don't they hire? Why didn't they hire people? You're on to the next question. The you're language. I've been no, on record. I, it's part of it. For that. No, no, it's not. It's not. And I'll tell you why. I'll, I'll tell you why. Because then we were told that in order to properly practice, in order for everybody to properly have sukkahs, okay, we needed to be able to stack a thousand people onto bleachers 10 deep to watch the Rebbe at Tish, all right, on the first night of Yontif. Now, that is a little bit beyond what we should have been fighting to do. We should have been fighting to make sure that we could daven, daven, you know, maybe in the streets, maybe every, you know, maybe have huge minyanim in the streets, make sure everybody has a little of an esrik, make sure everybody's able to, you know, go home, go home to a sukkah, all right, but not necessarily do what is essentially, all right, the, you know, the umptive version of a super spreader event that is far different than a BLM protest. And this is what everybody was demanding they could do. Now, as for the city's outreach, the city completely dropped the ball. The city didn't have, have any, any uh, tracers to, to talk to anybody in Brooklyn. The city clearly, they sent or, out- Or in Queens, for that, that matter. I had tracers well, call you, my you, house. You have no idea the questions they, they asked. Right. I mean, they didn't have any proper, whether it was language speaking um, outreach or sensitive sensitivity train, sen- training outreach. They had none of that to the community. So that was a major problem. The other problem was the city sent out an email saying that we'd been seeing an uptick since August 1st. And if they had been seeing an uptick since August 1st, all right, that was seven weeks to get everybody ready for young. And the city did not do that. So neither, the city, did, neither did the state for that matter. So let's right, let's but the city was the one. The city, the city okay, was the one. Correct. The city correct. were the ones holding the data. Let's just, you know, this is where leadership is supposed to come in and to tell you, okay, this person made the real mistake. This person made the side mistake. Let's not just sweep everything uh, together. Right? Okay, everybody's Democrats, therefore they're all the same. Or everybody's a Republican, therefore they're all Donald Trump. We can't, we can't be stuck doing that. So we have to be able to look and see who really dropped the ball here. And the true, you know, for if you know what's going on for seven weeks and you can't pick up the phone and say, hey, we got to come up with a better way to handle Yonka. We need more people wearing masks. All right. That's on the city. That's on the people who didn't do it right. There, it strikes me, and I'll name another name, Pimmy Ringle, guy who I like tremendously, have respect for, but he's one guy. You basically have one Orthodox Jew in, in, the New, in New York City government or one identifiably Orthodox Jew that we can think of who has any engagement with the community that's hundreds and hundreds of thousands. How is that possible? How is that possible well, that you have such a significant community and you have one person trying to deal with all of it? It just seems like a total well, failure. Well, but on that note, let's just take a moment to praise him. Okay, because he is. I, I was I was handle. praising him, but he's one guy. Okay, okay. So this one individual. There aren't even enough hours Ringle. in the day to return the phone calls that he gets. Right. So his name is Penny Ringle, and over the course of the summer, I spoke to him about a number of issues, 
you know, pro bono on behalf of my community. And he stepped up to see to it that everything was taken care of. He ran interference for the Upper West Side with the various police precincts. There were minyanim all in the street from various shuls. They picked the right streets. The police were there. The shuls, the shuls were, were, you know, they worked within the parameters, but the police and the city really stepped up. And all I could think about was, wow, he must be so busy that he's doing this all over the city, right? And what I found out afterwards was that people from his own community didn't even try to engage him to figure out how they were going to do it on 16th Avenue, on 13th Avenue, on 14th Avenue. Well, I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't bring any proof from what people didn't do. And honestly, from my point of view, it's incumbent on government to do that. That's what people get paid for. But of course, he's only yeah, one person. It? No, no, but, but, but you're, you're, my point is if the city is not engaged, the community would basically say, okay, there's no problem here. We don't, have to, we don't have to deal because we're home free. And a lot of people did think that. A lot of very intelligent, normal people felt that the wave had washed over and people were not getting affected over the summer. Okay. I'm not saying they were right. I'm not saying that was wise, but I am saying it is a fact that people did think that. And I'm talking about people who are connected to the outside world. I'm not talking about people who don't, who are disconnected. So the fa- the failure, as you said, from August 1st until the end of or the middle of September or late September to not engage at all is, is just astounding in my, in my opinion. And right, on top and of that, of course, then, of course, the on. governor felt, because he has to always Bigfoot the mayor, that he's got to jump in there and he's got to get there and he's going to say, okay, that's it, closed, done, we got it. And then, of course, you have this reaction that we get. So, I don't know, my theory is that maybe Orthodox political power is not at the all-time low, but if the politicians that are out there choose to just maybe make an effort to a scapegoat certain it's not a it's not a power it, it's well there is a power trip uh, you know well, here's the thing. Look, look, it's not much there's not much you could do about it when essentially these two these two guys want a feud mm-hmm. um yeah, hold it, hold it. Want a feud, and you're going to be roadkill it's happened to others okay so let's let, let's just put that part of this in into okay. perspective for a second here All we're, right, we're running out of time one. soon this is spin class here on the Seal network so uh let's uh yeah your answer. So, so let, let, let's put this into, into a little perspective for a second. And I'm not somebody who is ever going to be, you know, I press praise Penny Ringel, but I'm not necessarily uh, the, the, the front and center to praise his boss. And, um, you know, I have a history with Governor Cuomo, but I'll be the first person to say that sometimes he's uh, a little inartful and makes, it makes mistakes. But you're dealing both with two politicians. So I've had long-running career, career-long relationships with, with the Orthodox Jewish community, in particular the Haredi neighborhoods. And they were addressing, you know, they didn't set out there and say, you know, in an attempt to say target the communities. They were both responding to what had been, what were the statistics and the obvious trends in front of them. And, you know... <laughs> Could have, could have done things better. We just said the city should have been on top of it. Um, the governor, you know, overreacted in one day to changing circumstances very quick, quickly, told people one thing, then changed his mind and did something totally different. 
All right, but to say that this is the the targeting and you know, pardon pardon me to borrow someone else's phrase, stoking the embers of anti-Semitism. I mean, yes, it's not it's not Simcha Eichenstein. Well said. <laughs> okay, so 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 Simcha's a you know a very good assemblyman and a great advocate, and you know he does an incredible an incredible job. Okay, but when you are trying to deal with the increasing numbers in a contagious pandemic and you have to try to engage and do and take action to slow this tide before it gets out of hand sometimes especially when the reaction on the ground and the reaction that you've seen had been what the reaction for the community was you know you you get what you get can things always be better? Yes, but is it... You get uh, what you get, okay. Is, is, is it anti-Semitism? Is it anti-Semitism? I don't think so. I, it's, I guess it's, a, it's an expected outcome. We'll, we'll, we'll leave it at that. I, I appreciate the robust discussion. I want to close on this note since tonight is the last debate. We were deprived of the entertainment value of the second debate. Um, but uh, some, some uh, advice from none other than Frank Luntz for the president. Uh, nobody cares about Hunter Biden, he said. Hunter Biden does not help put food on the table. Hunter Biden does not help anyone get a job. Hunter Biden does not provide health care or solve the pandemic. And Donald Trump spends all of his time focused on that, and nobody cares. And I think if, as Lunch added, I've never seen a campaign more miscalibrated than the Trump campaign. This is coming from a Republican. I think that Donald Trump could still win. we got two weeks to go. But it's going to have to stop being about Hunter Biden and more about what Donald Trump's going to do for the country. That's it for this week here on Spin Class here on the Nachum Stegel Network. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Benasha Shapiro, for joining us. See you next week. Mm-hmm.